and welcome to episode 126 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. I'm a bit tired. How was your week, Shane? Uh, my week was good. Yeah, you know, we had, it was a little wet, I guess, there for mm. a day or two. We got quite a bit of rain. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, we had a few clear days, clear nights and, uh, the forecast coming up looks pretty solid too for us. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get any, uh, astronomy in? I did some solar observing and, um, I'm trying to think if I got, I don't think I did any, uh, optically aided observing at night. I did a bunch of visual just when I was letting the dog out at the end of the night, you know, I would spend another 15 or 20 minutes just taking in the night sky. And, you know, it, I've like, I've been looking at the night sky, you know, obviously my whole life, but in terms of being an amateur astronomer quite seriously for about the last, you know, I'd say 18 years or so. And it still never fails to amaze me how quickly mm -hmm. the sky transitions, you know, where yeah. it just seemed like a couple of weeks ago, I could just barely start to see like Cygnus and, uh, uh, Lyra, you know, like they were just rising in the East and getting high enough so that I could see them over top of the buildings around me. And now it's like, holy smokes, they're almost like at, uh, at Zenith, like it <laughs> at the same time of the night, you know, it's, it's yeah. wild. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, uh, it's pretty good. Pretty yeah. Good. How was your week? I, I think you got some observing in that night. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did quite a bit. I did quite a bit. I can talk about it in a second. Um, had, had some communication with Bill, we are who was uh, who's a guest of ours recently and uh, and a sort of longtime correspondent of mine <laughs> mm -hmm. um, through through the uh, RASC here in Canada and uh, he, he's an incredible observer and I, I always enjoy um, hearing from him and seeing his sketches and uh, looks like he he picked up a four inch uh, Teleview NP one hundred one Petzl. Yeah, that's a great little telescope. That's basically the the same as my uh, Genesis SDF. It's the yeah. it's a newer model, but um, from what I understand from a visual perspective, there's really little difference uh, between them. Yeah, having looked through them both, uh, agreed. Um, yeah, they're they're really nice, really nice uh, four inch telescopes, especially you know sort of for that uh, low power. Uh, wide field. Yeah, really, really nice. And then we also had some, some exchange. I think I, I had said I was observing um, one cluster, but then I, I had gotten the numbers reversed. So uh, I think I called it uh, like 6366 or something like that, which is another cluster over by Messier 14, um, a globular. And then Bill sent me a sketch of that. And I was like, no, that's not the one I observed. I observed 6633. So he gave me a bit of a, a ribbing for, for that. Um, but yeah, it can get kind of confusing, uh, you know, especially when, you know, basically staying up all night, these nights to, to do some observing and uh, often work on the next day. And then, uh, yeah, you get a couple of numbers reversed sometimes. So anyway, that, that was my gaffe, I think, in one of the recent uh, podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely happens. You know, you, when you b burn the candle at both ends, uh, some of the finer details like NGC numbers can get reversed. <laughs> mm. And uh, we heard from, from Phil, he sent, he sent some really cool photos of the eclipse. Yeah. Yeah. So Phil, again, he's uh, in the UK, pretty close to London. And uh, so they had a partial view of the annular and uh it was a, it was, it was an interesting observing story too, because, you know, he talked about it being fairly cloudy with some sucker yeah. hole type of observing. So he's able to get some visual views, but then the clouds took over and he decided to just put his camera, like his phone camera up to the eyepiece uh, to take some photographs. And lo and behold, the camera was able to pick up some really nice shots of the annular. Yeah. He and did some fancy adjusting with it or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and kind of another like sidebar to this is, um, you know, here where we live, Chris, we, we can get some, you know, white out blizzards in the winter time where visibility is next to nothing. Um, I've tried to capture that, like, you know, in the passenger seat of a car, you know, you're, you're looking out the window and you're thinking mm. there's no way we should be on the highway. I'm going to grab a photo of this just to, you know, send it to yeah. some friends to tell them you yeah. know, how crazy it is. And yeah. the photograph is like, it barely looks like it's snowing. So there's, you know, something magical that happens with these cameras and their ability to see through, you know, cloud and snow and whatever yeah. else. Yeah. I think they're looking into the IR or something, right? 
Yeah, it could be. Could so be. they, they kind of, they, they see moisture as transparent, but I, I know like, it's the same, like we're, we're having a blizzard towards, I don't know. I think it was like in May or something. <laughs> and, and I took a photo of it and it just looked like flurries, but it was, it was just horrendous. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, in general, there is a lot of really cool photographs of the annular eclipse um, like our Twitter timeline, you know, we follow a bunch of uh, astronomy accounts. So there's a lot of photographs there. Um, and there's a number of photographs where people caught um, the, the International Space Station transiting the sun during the eclipse. So, you know, so yeah, you've got like a, a chunk of the sun eclipsed by the moon. And then you've got like the, the outline of the International Space Station tracking across the sun, which is a pretty cool photo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, you, you sent me one, it was from Switzerland and, uh, I said, Oh, it looks like Swiss cheese. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) It's kind of funny. (laughs) I always like the ones that there was somebody, I can't remember when this was a number of years ago. And, uh, they took a photo of the international space station as, as it was transiting, um, the sun, I think like during the transit of Venus or, or something like that. And it actually sort of looks remarkably like the Canadian flag and somebody put like Canada lands on the sun, you know? Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was pretty funny. Yeah, it kind of looks like remarkably like the Canadian flag when it when uh, when it's in transit like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, and and depending on probably I guess the aperture, but also the time put into the photograph, you can see some remarkable detail on the space station. Just you know, in kind of as it's uh, or of its silhouette as it's passing, you know, by an illuminated object like sometimes the moon, but in this case, the sun. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. Pretty cool. You know. And speaking of sun, just um, maybe a quick, yeah, maybe one report on my solar observing. Um, two days ago, um, and and even yesterday, actually, there is a huge prominence on the. I guess I think it would be the eastern limb of the sun, mm-hmm. and it is just massive. Um, so when that thing comes around, like all you see is the prominence coming off the limb when it you know, fully rotates around and is more directionally pointed towards us. I think it'll be, you know, quite a large structure to observe. And, mm. um, you know, depending on what it evolves into, you may need age alpha for it, but it may yeah. also be a really cool sunspot to observe when it comes around. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I don't know. Did I, did I talk about my by focuser last week? Focuser. It did arrive and I got, I got it, I got it installed and it works. It works beautifully. <laughs> I don't think you did. I, I don't like, you, you know, sometimes I get confused uh, what we talk about outside yeah. of the podcast and what we talk about inside of the podcast. So I don't yeah. think it was in the podcast. And, and, in, and in full disclosure, I have, to, I have to give a little bit of report of, of my evening last night. So, so Mike and I went out and we, we observed until uh, after one. So, so we observed and, and, my plan right now is I'm, I'm observing stars until it gets as dark as it's going to get, which happens about 12 or just after, and then observe for an hour and then go home. Um, and so, so anyway, I'll talk more about the observing in a second. So, so we observe and I, I pack up and I'm driving home like 1.30 and I'm, I'm actually pretty tired. I'm more tired than I thought I was going to be. I, so I get home and, and uh, it was really dewy because of all the moisture that we've had recently. And I was kind of... I probably would have done another half hour, maybe, although I was tired, but, uh, I, I knew that when I got home, I was going to have to unpack all my gear, which typically I don't do because usually it's pretty dry here, but everything was soaking wet, including mm-hmm. my, my Takahashi. So I thought oh, I'm going to take it out and, and dry it off. And, you know, oh, and I got that, I had my hand paddle going last I get, I got to get that out because I want the electronics getting moisture in them. So anyway, so, so I, I get home at like, I don't know, we're not that far away. So I get home at like uh, 20 to, uh, uh, 20 to two and I unpack everything and I, I wipe it off and I get ready for bed. I'm, I'm really tired at this point. This is not what I want to be doing. Usually like to, ideally what I like to do is just stop observing and crawl into a tent and go to sleep. That's, mm-hmm. that's my ideal situation. So, so doing all this is, is not great. And by this point I'm tired, I'm starting to get kind of irritated um, you know, not at anybody, but just kind of at myself. So I, uh, get to bed, turn the light off and I fall asleep. And about five minutes later, the battery goes on something. And so we get this big alarm in the house. <laughs> so 
so so we get up we take uh we're like oh it's it's a smoke detector that's near near our bedroom so we we pull that off the ceiling turn it off and the alarm keeps going and we're like oh what is this right so it turned out it's uh it's like a our backup carbon dioxide detector is it carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide anyway it's, it's, it's that one that detects the gas yep. and, um, and it's plugged in. So it always has power, but it has a battery backup and the battery backup decided to pack it in. Cause, cause when my wife went to sleep, it, it, it was warm and she got up and opened all the windows and it, it was pretty chilly upstairs when I got home. And it probably was enough just to trip that battery into failure. And, uh, anyway, so then we got we get that packed away. So I didn't I didn't even end up getting to sleep until like two thirty or something last night. <laughs> well, you should have stayed out observing. Um, yeah, you know, let let your wife deal with the battery, and then you would have come home and just went to bed. <laughs> yeah, she actually ended up dealing with it. I went downstairs and finished messing with my my gear while she was oh, yeah. while she was doing that. So because I was like, man, I shouldn't be touching anything like with a, with a, I went and got her the screwdriver and that I'm like, I can't deal with anything like, you know, electrical and plugs and batteries and that I shouldn't be touching anything at two 30 in the morning after I've been awake for almost 24 hours. So, so anyway, she was, she was in good spirit. So she, uh, she took care of it, but, uh, yeah, we had, we had a good night last night. Like it was, it was really, really clear, but you know, we've had, we, we had quite a bit of rain, almost, almost record setting here. I don't know if it was record setting or not, but I think one day we had um, two and a half inches of rain, like 68 millimeters or 63 millimeters or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was the biggest rainfall ever recorded in this area or maybe our province. I'm not sure uh, on, on a June 11th, uh, that was the most rain we ever received. So yeah, it was good. It was a big downpour. Yeah. And we, you know, so in, in like full fairness, like it was, we were borderline drought and we did have some rain like the week before last, but it still wasn't enough. We, we needed like another couple days of rain and we probably have more than enough now. So, uh, you know, th- things are good, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was getting pretty dewy and usually we don't have any dew when we're observing. So, and it wasn't, it, it was heavy for here, but not heavy enough that like my refractor wasn't the lens wasn't doing over. I wasn't getting, you know, and I don't have a dew shield or anything like that. I, I got rid of those when I moved out here. Um, but like Mike's finder dewed over. And I think my finder, my finder was fine, but probably another hour and it would have dewed over, I bet. Um, but it's, it's pretty substantial because I have that, uh, that mini Borg set up, uh, set up as a finder. And uh, I was able to get that. So this, this is the thing that I'm, that I'm going to talk about here is, is that finder. So um that finder, the way I had it set up is I put it in one of the traditional stocks. So it's like a, it's just like a, you know, I guess like a piece of metal and then it has like the circle and then you kind of push your, your finder through it. And it's sort of like the traditional finder scope stock. And then it has like three screws and, and you, and you kind of align it uh, with your telescope by, by adjusting those three screws. Um, but the one that I got, and I think for most of them for a 50 millimeter, um, Borg anyway, they're, they're a bit tight. It says that you can do it and you can fit, I can fit it in, but there's not, I don't think there's enough room to actually, um, adjust it properly. Like I, I can get it kind of sort of pointed in the general direction of the telescope, but, but I can't get it perfectly aligned. And I'd spend, uh, I think three or four nights trying to do this and, uh, it just seemed, seemed futile. But when I got the focuser, um, from Japan, um, I was just messing around with it, I was sitting uh, like in the afternoon, like last Sunday, we could go today after, after we did the podcast. And um, that, that's when I took the focuser out and I put it on, I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then I thought, well, I wonder, I wonder if with the focuser in, I can, I can focus out, get enough space and then um, put it in my uh, old Stellar View finder rings, which are more like guide scope rings. There's, there's two rings and then they have uh, two sets of three uh, nylon screws. And so it just, just kind of goes in like, like a little uh, guide scope. And so, so when I, I did that and it, and it seemed to work fine, I just kept messing with it, messing with it. And I thought, huh, it looks like I should be able to choke it back enough and I just have enough space to actually um, have those those uh, adjustment screws sit on the tube, 
uh, and not have to use the space that I that I was making uh, by focusing out the uh, the the focuser. Um, and when I did that, I didn't know this, but it's sort of like happy accident. I passed one of the um, nylon screws through the uh, set screw hole in uh, in part of the tube assembly. And and so what I was what I was realizing as I was putting it together, I didn't see that. But what I what I was realizing is that I wouldn't be able to actually use any set screws because they would be um, interfered with by that by that first um, bracket by the first ring. And, 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 my, and uh, sorry, Chris, to interrupt. Um, the set screws you're referring to is that on the Borg telescope, like the sliding draw tube? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like there's 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 holes in it for that. So then. So then what, what happened was I was like, well, I wonder if it fits. I'll just see if it fits and then I'll mess with it more. And, um, and when I went to pass in my diagonal, it didn't even go in. I'm like, what is going on? Like I've put this diagonal in this, this tube so many times. And then I looked in, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. That's amazing. So I just backed it out, slid it in. So I actually used one of the set screws as my, um, or, or one of the one of the guide scope uh, nylon uh, screws as as my set screw for that. So so it's like perfect the way the way that it works. So I can focus everything one and a quarter, two inch eyepieces, uh, the whole bit without actually swapping out any parts. So anyway, that that's how I have it. That's how I have it set up now. But but it's slick because I can take I can put in my Amici uh, diagonal in a one and a quarter inch um, adapter, and so I can run it in finder scope mode. And then just back it off, pull that out, and I can put my two-inch diagonal in with with a two-inch eyepiece, just like that. It just literally takes three and a half seconds. And I originally had wanted it to work that way, because then what I what I can do, of course, is use it as a finder. And then if I just want to kind of scan the skies or look at something differently, it's basically like having two telescopes, um, like ready ready to go. Like it's I'm observing with two telescopes basically all night now, and. And uh, anyway, that's that's pretty cool. I see you're you're actually ready to go with with two telescopes now as well. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I don't know if this will be like a permanent setup, um, at least not for the backyard. Um, although maybe I don't know. But uh, so what I'm doing is I have that uh, Burlaback caster to mount, which is a T mount, so you can put telescopes on either side. And I've been using that for just solar observing H alpha on one side, and then a little 50 millimeter uh, F 10.4 refractor on the other side uh, with a Herschel wedge for white light. Um, so I took both of those telescopes off. I put the Borg 50 uh, millimeter on one side and then the TAC 76 on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to see how that mount will handle all of this um, mm. because it's a super lightweight setup. Um, it's on a... Uh, a Bogan 3046 tripod, I think is yep. what it is. Um, so, you know, it's a strong tripod, but it's still fairly lightweight. Um, so anyway, everything like it, the movement, the motion is really nice. Um, that should be okay. Um, and then I've been kind of messing around with my Borg mini as well. I, I got a, uh, a, a T2 helical focuser for it. So it's kind of on the, the back end of it where the diagonal would be inserted. And, um, it seems to work pretty good, but it changed my, like the optical light path. It extended it. So yeah. it made achieving focus a little bit challenging. So, you know, I had to kind of go back to the drawing board in terms of the configuration of that yeah. whole telescope. And I think it's good. Um, the, uh, the panoptic, the 24 millimeter panoptic should reach focus. Um, and that gives me about a, I think seven and a half ish degrees, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. in terms of field of view. So uh, I'm kind of excited to see how it works. Um, ideally, what I want to use this little 54 is when we go to the dark skies, um, I have a larger T mount, uh, the Sky T2. Yep. So I could put, oh, you like want to my, put that up top. Yeah. You know, I could put my 120 millimeter refractor on one side for, mm. you know, maximum light power or, you know, light gathering. Mm. Um, and then the Borg just on the other side for, you know, the extreme wide fields if I want it. Yeah. Yeah, did did I, you know, and I sent you a link or, or mentioned the uh, the fact that they make stellar view rings for the tack even without having to go through a fancy um, setup like I've got going on mine. Did did you did you order those rings? Uh, well, no, I ordered the rings from uh, Scope Essentials, and I think they're just like standard the standard rings. 
Um, Are they Stellar View rings? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're Stellar okay. View. Yeah, they, they should work fine then. Yeah. In fact, they, they should work better than mine. Mine are really old and wonky. So, mm. I actually have another set of those Stellar Views that are on my uh, Zeiss 50 millimeter F10.4. Yeah. Um, and they work really well on there. So, um, you know, I think they'll be okay on the, the Borg. Uh, I'll see how they work. Um, you know, the current setup that I have is, is pretty good too. So yeah. I'm just using like the Borg ring. The only thing I don't like about the Borg ring is it, um, it, it you have to put the ring quite a ways forward on the telescope. So it's closer to the lens cell, which means it just isn't balanced at all. Like, yeah. cause the majority of the weight is on the back end where you, you know, your diagonal and eyepiece are, yep. um, but I'm not able to, to move that forward using the Borg ring. So I'm hoping maybe these stellar view rings just allow me to achieve a better center of gravity uh, on the dovetail. Yeah, they, they should like, I mean, I'm able to get it with mine. So, so it should, should be okay. But what, what I ended up ordering, um, kind of, I think I tested this out. I think it was Sunday night. I tested it out. Yeah. And just, just on my backyard. And, uh, and so I, I realized that everything, everything was coming to focus and the views were really neat. And so I decided to, to just bite the bullet and buy the, uh, it's called the 8992. It's, it's a riser bracket. And then you can attach any of the Borg rings to it. And so I bought that. And then I bought the, uh, the little ring for, for the 60 tubes because I can also use that with my uh, TAC 60, I think, because I have a really heavy uh, TAC uh, ring and, and plate and it's offset. So you can actually achieve balance with um, heavier eyepieces. It's mm. one thing I really like about it. And so, uh, so this is just like a super light version of that. So this was always kind of on my radar to get anyway, but now I just kind of, kind of bit the bullet to to get that. Since I can use it with the fifty, I can use it with the sixty. And then I've been I've been so happy with the views of of the Borg fifty. I mean, it it really is amazing. Even even just used as a finder scope. Um, it's pretty cool. Like, like it's, it really is the finder scope. Like I always, I always want it. We're going to talk more about finder scopes, uh, uh, in a bit, but yeah, I mean, to, to have, uh, like a full, um, 50 millimeters of aperture. And then I'll, I will say this is that oftentimes people think about getting like really big finders and I'm not, I'm not, I don't quite understand that because, uh, although the big finders go deeper, that's what the telescope is for. The finder itself is just about, about centering the field. The, the field that you're looking for, it's not for actually seeing the objects themselves. And so you want it set up so that you can actually uh, center the spot in the sky that you're going to look at through the main telescope, regardless of, of what its size is. So it needs to be optimized for finding those fields. And, and this really is very much optimized um, for this now. And that, that was, that, that's really hard to set up. And yeah, it's funny that a lot of finder scopes aren't, uh, aren't really set up for that either. They're, um, you know, the, there might be right angle and correct image, but then the, the little eyepiece doesn't have enough eye relief. So you have to take your glasses off and then often the fields aren't, aren't that large. So, you know, I'm like, well, I get kind of like the same field of view with my, my main telescopes as, as I do with these little finder scopes sometimes. So anyway, this finder scope has, has almost a six and a half uh, degree true field with, uh, with a 32 millimeter plossel in it. And, uh, yeah, and, and it, and it's very, very sharp you know, rate, rate, sharp, sharp, sharp to the edge. So it's just, just awesome as a finder scope. Do you think you'll set yours up as a finder or will you bother doing that? Uh, undecided. Um, I don't know. You know, it, uh, uh, it probably won't go on my tax 76. Like the 76 itself is almost a finder, you know, with the right eyepiece that can yep. easily deliver a five degree field of view. Um, so probably not on there, but potentially on my 120. Or on my um, uh, Teleview Genesis SDF, hmm. the the only thing is like if I'm using either of those telescopes, I'm likely using one of my T mounts, mm -hmm. and if I'm using the T mount, I think I'd rather put the Borg just on the other side because it's just easier to balance the whole system that way. You know, putting the finder scope on the refractor just adds so much more weight to the tail yeah. end of that refractor that you know you can sometimes run into balance issues. So. Yeah, I'm kind um, of living with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. So, 
Um, maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I, one of the reasons why I wanted to get that T2 helical focuser is because it's way lighter than yeah. that big two inch focuser that I had on there. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that aspect of it. And I tell you, it is a super light setup, especially yeah. if I don't use the pan optic. Now the 24 millimeter pan is actually not that heavy, but compared to say the 32 millimeter TAC Abbey ortho yep. that I have, or the 40 yep. millimeter Pentex Kellner, like those eyepieces weigh a third of what the Panoptic weighs and, uh, they're a delight to use. Now, um, Not I haven't read the delight, which you didn't find to be a delight to use. That's but true. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I, I haven't actually tested the 40 millimeter Kellner or that TAC 32 millimeter ortho on the Borg. And I'm not sure they'll work very good on there because it's such a fast, uh, optical system at F5. Yeah. Um, th like the, the Pentax Kellner has been sharp to the edge in every telescope I've used, but yeah. Kellners usually aren't well corrected in like an F5 system. Um, and then the, the 32 millimeter TAC ortho had some astigmatism, you know, on the edges, uh, even in my 76 millimeter, uh, at F 7.5. So yeah. anyway, I'm curious to see how they perform in the Borg tonight's the night. It's looking like we are going to have some fantastic conditions. So I will, uh, I'll be test driving it. Yeah. I, I, I honestly think the 32 millimeter GSO generic, most generic plossel, which costs, I don't know what it costs, like 28 bucks or something like that American, that that is the eyepiece for it. Because it, it only weighs like an ounce or two ounces or something. I don't know what it weighs, but it seems like it doesn't even weigh anything. Um, and oh, the other thing I got is, is I purchased the actual 60 millimeter tube um, that's not, uh, that doesn't have any of the set screws and it's not reinforced or anything. So that's going to knock off four ounces. And then uh, I'm going to see how you make out with, with your setup with that helical. And, um, and I might go that route for, for keeping it in finder scope mode, like only when I have it, uh, set up on the scope, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm just using it, like last night, I was just using it as a finder and, uh, you know, I, I'd like to knock off, you know, another four or five ounces because, uh, I'm definitely, uh, tail too tail heavy. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just using a, um, inexpensive, uh, 35 millimeter Kellner is my main, uh, two inch eyepiece on, on the tack right now, because, uh, it's just so tail heavy. Um, I can't use any, any, anything else that's, that's uh, much heavier than about 12 ounces. So, so anyhow, um, but yeah, last night, um, I actually went and, and, and <laughs> tried to look for some doubles. I'm not a double star observer. I said to Mike, he's like, how's it going over there? It doesn't sound too good. And I said, yeah, I'm not a double star observer and I'm really proving it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean? You like, what was the issue? You just couldn't well, find them or? Well, well, I found the stars. I knew what stars they are. They're not mm -hmm. difficult stars to find. Um, mm -hmm. So, so the ones I was looking for were 70 off Yukai, which is up in Taurus Poniatowski. Um, I was looking at, uh, Lambda off Yuki, Tau off Yuki and 36 off Yuki. Um, and yeah, right off the hop, you know, I, I went for 70. I heard that was, that was the easiest one. And, and that was, that was no problem. That was no problem at all. But, um, the others I, I couldn't get. I don't know whether it was just really bad seeing conditions or just uh, my inexperience as a double star observer. And so, um, and, and also I was kind of like, I was kind of tired. We had a lot of this do. And so kind of fighting a couple of different things there. And uh, yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't get them to split. I mean, the seeing was rather poor. I mean, really yeah. it, it, it was not very good seeing at all in the atmosphere. The atmosphere was thick and it was unstable, which, which is a very bad combination. Mm -hmm. What do you know the separation, like the distance between the two that you were struggling with? Yeah, six. Uh, well, 70 is, is about, um, what is it? Six, uh, is it arc seconds or arc yeah, minutes? It'll be arc seconds. I'm sure. Yeah. Six, six arc seconds. That was no problem. The other ones, one of them was like five. I thought I might've got that. And then, then one of them, one of them was tight. I knew one of them I wouldn't get. Um, with the conditions and yeah, I, I, that, yeah. that one, I, I definitely didn't get. So, so I don't know, I'll, I'll go out and, uh, I guess try for them again. Um, I spent a long time like micro around. So what I'm doing, my, my method to the, to the madness here, I know you think it's, a, it's a bit nutty going out on these twilight nights. Cause we only really get like an hour of, of even halfway decent darkness. Um, but what I do is I spend, um, 
that the hour going into that darkness observing just stars. So I've, mm-hmm. I've been observing like the, the brightest stars in Ophiuchus and, uh, and then like last night uh, hunting up doubles. And then I actually looked at uh, a variable star as well. And then um, once we get into that darkness, then, then I go for, for a deep sky object or two, you know, and we just don't have that much time. So, so you're pretty limited. So, uh, so anyway, 70 off Yuki, that, that's a great double. That's, that's a really nice double. Um, I got that. No problem. I think that's a good one. If anybody's looking to get started, the other ones I mentioned, uh, like, like I said, I couldn't get maybe 36. I, I could see something of, but just going to have to revisit them. Took a look at X Afiuki, which is uh, sort of way up in the Northeast of Afiukas. It's right on the Afiukas, I think, Scutum border. Um, and that's, that's a nice variable star. Like I get that one, no problem. It's in a easily recognizable field and, uh, and it's around eighth magnitude or so right now. I didn't do, I just tried to do a f- estimate. I was like, man, I'm, I'm too bagged to do a, to do an actual estimate, but it was, it was around like eight point something magnitude, which is getting into the fainter realm. But it was neat because that that's about the, that was about the limit of my finder scope last night around eight and a half getting close, maybe, maybe ninth magnitude. So it was the only thing in that spot that I could see. And I knew it was around eighth magnitude because I looked it up on AAVSO before and I could see, okay, yeah, that that's it. I, it was it was so easy to to identify. I thought it might have trouble IDing the field for that. So I was I was pretty stoked um, th- that I got that I got that star pretty quick. And then, uh, oh, Mike, he hunted down a um, couple interesting things, but one of them was uh, NGC six three eight four, which is this galaxy up in uh, north central Afiuki. Afiukas. And, uh, and it's, it's like a nice sort of face on spiral, uh, set up in between, almost in between these, these two stars, just, just a little bit to the Northwest of these, these two stars. Um, and so we had a nice long look at that and his 20 millimeter, uh, and 13 millimeter in his scope, which, which gave 85 power and, and a higher power, whatever, um, 1700 divided by 13 would be, um, and, and so that, that was pretty nice. That was pretty nice. I think we looked at a couple other things through a scope. I honestly, uh, can't remember what they, what they were, um, just because like, you know, I was really focused on, on what I was going for and, uh, yeah, but we had some nice views. He, he was writing some notes there. So maybe, maybe he'll send me, send me the notes, but, uh, yeah, I was getting, I was getting a bit tired and I find like when, when I'm going for stuff and I'm not finding it, um, that, that can kind of weigh on you a bit too. I wasn't frustrated or anything. It was just like, ah, I can't get it. So Mike was coming over. He was like, yeah, I can't see it. I like, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm pretty sure I had the stars. These are, these are fairly bright stars. And, uh, you know, I spent a while kind of hunting them down. So, so anyway, we'll, uh, we'll see. But then uh, the last thing I went for was this planetary nebula, um, six, five, seven, two, which goes by a few names goes by like the green emerald and then there, there was somebody somebody else had a different name for it too um but it's quite nice that is uh I, th- I think i may have looked at it before like a long long time ago but i think i just like id'd it um but ngc 6572 that's a really really nice uh planetary it's eighth magnitude so you know well within range and it's and it's very star-like so i could see it in in the finder scope and uh you know, it took a while to kind of hunt the field up. There's, there's not a lot, there's a lot of sort of eighth magnitude stars, I should say in that general area. So it was a little bit tough at first to get, to get the stars. So it took me maybe, I don't know, maybe a dozen minutes to actually sort out which, which one of these it was. And uh, anyway, I was able to put some decent power on it, but then, you know, kind of going back to our old discussion on the, uh, on the Barlow lenses, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about those before and I, I saw somebody, somebody actually bought a five inch, um, uh, pocker mount like I have, and they were, they were looking for advice on high power eyepieces. And a lot of people just spin off, like go get a Barlow, go get a Barlow and just use whatever. And, and, and a Barlow. And, you know, here's, here's sort of my frustration with the Barlows. And, and I, I hit that again last night. So I was using them or I was using one, I was using my uh, Nikon 1.6, which is arguably the, the best Barlow you can get. I mean, it, it certainly uh, is a very good Barlow, but, but there's a couple things. So, so it's late and you've got to unthread and thread it onto your uh, eyepieces. So that that's a step. That's not a big deal. 
But then it turned out that, uh, and this was kind of weird, is that, and I didn't want to rejig my gear, but but the um, one and a quarter inch adapter that I was using in my scope, um, it, it was bottoming out in this in this adapter. That adapter only allows you to go in so far so that you don't strike your um, strike your mirrors in your diagonals. Anyway, and. Pff, you know, it was like rising up. So I had had a long range of focus change. So I had to focus um, like another maybe 12 or 15 millimeters different from the primary eyepiece when I was switching from the primary to the Barlow. And again, like that, you're going to get that with a Barlow a lot of the times that you'll get this shift in your, in your focus range. And then for example, um, I couldn't, I couldn't get the planetary, but you know, I was tired and mucking around with this stuff at, uh, basically one o'clock in the morning. Um, and I couldn't get that planetary back in the field of view when I had the Barlow in and I couldn't figure out what it was. I was like, do I have the cap on? <laughs> like, what is going on here? But I just couldn't do it at, at one o'clock in the morning when I was so tired. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what you want is you just want to take another eyepiece that's nearly parafocal or, or very close to the same focus point as, as your previous eyepiece. You just want to be able to drop that in and just basically increase the power without messing around. And, and that's why I don't like Barlow's as much. But again, I have a, have a 3X on order simply because um, when you're using these short, short focal length uh, refractors like, like I have, um, you don't really have much of a choice. Like there, there isn't a lot of uh, good long eye relief eyepieces around like, you know, in, in these weird increments between like, say six millimeters and, uh, and, and four millimeters. For example, there's lots of higher power ones. I have the three and a half Pentax, which is awesome. I don't have the five millimeter Pentax, but, but that only gives me one power. And so sort of my, my low, my, my next lower power is 105. So that's the seven. And then I have the, the three and a half, which is like, I don't know, like 216 or something like that. So I don't have any of these powers much in that, in that hundred to say 200 power range, which, which is, uh, which is what I'm really looking for. Even if I got a five, I'd only have like 150 power, right. You know, it's mm-hmm. a huge jump, right. Um, you know, although it lands right in the middle anyway. Um, so that, that's sort of my, my grief with, with the Barlow's and, uh, and yeah, I probably should just just uh, bite the bullet and buy that uh, buy that Pendex, which which I may which I may do. But but it it just kind of sucks because that ends up being like a real one trick wonder, like a, a five millimeter eyepiece. Well, if I borrow it, um, I got way too much power, so I can't really do that. And uh, and a lot of nights the sky won't even hold 150. I don't even know if it'll hold 150 last night. Oh, yeah, um, not, not last night. I don't think like, like I didn't have a telescope out, but just looking at the sky, I couldn't believe the twinkle and the stars, like the seeing was just not good. So, yeah. 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 So, so that, that might've just been it. And again, like, um, I got to get some different adapters, like for, for one and a quarter. Um, yeah, that was just kind of, kind of painful. Um, yeah. So anyway, that, that's kind of what I was observing, was observing, but, but it looked great, you know, gain up to 105 or 106 power, whatever I had, it looked, uh, it looked really, really good. Um, that's a great planetary, um, you know, of course these planetary nebulas are nebulas that are formed by, uh, sun-like star stars that are similar to our sun, uh, that have lived out the course of their life and they're giving out their material, uh, into space. And sometimes you can sense color and certainly you could sense like this, this emerald green with it. It was, uh, it was quite, uh, quite pronounced so um yeah definitely definitely would put that on my list and it's bright you know like i'm certain you can see that from your backyard i mean i could see it in my finder scope um from that site which isn't really that dark it's only like a magnitude that last night we might have been pushing five 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 six at, at best so where where were you was that white butte or the one by your house yeah no we went, to, we went to white butte and mm-hmm. that that site is definitely um nowhere near as good as the site by my house like i mm-hmm. i did another session out by my house there and uh and and that site is awesome like it's like considering how close it is to the city you know um i calculated that the the area i'm observing in it's a, it's over a hundred square kilometers. And this is only like 17 minutes from my back door driving. Um, it's a hundred square kilometers where nobody lives. Oh. So, so there's, there's, there's a couple farm lights that are, that are on sort of the, the extremes out, outside of this. There might be a, there might be one person living in this, this area, but, 
um, there's, there's virtually no lights in it. And it's just these, these huge, huge fields. Um, and, uh, and there's, there's just farm roads that cut between There's public farm access roads that, that, you know, cut through them and they're huge roads. Like the roads are like, shoot, like 40 feet wide kind of thing, you know, two wow. lane, two lane dirt tracks. Now they're just dirt. There's in most cases, there's no gravel or anything on them. So once we have rain, then I'm out for three or four, maybe even a week. Um, but then once, once it drains off and, and we get um, some warmer days, then, then you can get out there and, and drive on these things. And uh, I mean, you need good off-road vehicle. Like the first time I went down one of them, like I was, I was pushing the limits on my car and, and, you know, I've got the big truck tires on my SUV and everything. And uh, definitely it can be a little bit rough. So you don't want to be out there driving around and like a, like a sedan or something like that, that that's not going to work. You're, you're going to, you're going to break it. Um, but anyway, yeah, it, it, it's, it's really, really dark out there. So for example, last night I was looking up into off and, and that dark prancing horse, I don't know, maybe I could detect like a shade of difference in that general area, but I, I really couldn't see it at all. Like I, I can't say that I could see it. Um, and then from this other site there a few days ago, uh, I could see the dark prancing horse, no problem. Like clear as I was going to say clear as day, but I guess clear as a dark night. And uh, yeah, you know, really, really quite pronounced um, and pretty easy to see like the bulge into Ophiuchus and, uh, and Scorpius. Uh, so that's way, way darker, right? Just, just way, way darker a sight, even, even during these, uh, these perpetual twilight times. So, so yeah, I really like that site a lot. It's, uh, you know, unfortunately it's further for you guys, um, closer for me by, by maybe five or six minutes. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think that site is probably the better part of a magnitude fainter. I, I would say it's, it's wow. gotta be it's got to be uh, more than half a magnitude because that, that, that's a big, big jump in, in, uh, in sky contrast for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, that's good to know. I'm, I, you know, I want to try that site. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not that motivated to make the voyage out of the city in June, just because as you mentioned, like the amount of darkness we get is so short. And even that level of darkness is probably on par with like a first quarter moon or something like that in the sky. Like it's that. not, yeah. It's not super dark. And, uh, I just, I, you know, during the month of June, I just observe doubles in the backyard because to me, I'm not getting that much better outside of the, uh, the backyard, but once, uh, July, August comes around, I definitely want to head out there and, and check out that site. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I have, you know, worked on some pretty big projects and I guess don't quite have the luxury of, of, uh, and I'm trying to get an article written. So, uh, I need to be able to get this stuff down. I mean, even, yeah, yeah. E- even like we were looking at, um, we were looking at, uh, six, three, eight, four, the galaxy, uh, up in North central off Yuki, off Yuki's. um, you know, like we're, we're really just getting the fields down, you know, cause mm-hmm. some of this stuff is challenging to find, you know, so the next time I go out, um, uh, I'm just going to find it really fast and, uh, and then, and then do a proper sketch. So right now I'm just like basically finding the fields for all this stuff and doing some, some preliminary sketches. And then once, uh, once we get into some dark skies here next month, then, then be able to nail it down. And then like refining the gear, like I I don't want to be going out in, in July and then, uh, you know, still struggling a little bit with the balance issue because I didn't leave off, uh, uh, six or seven ounces off, off my finder scope. And, and I should have that, that worked out by the first of July and, and then, uh, some of the other things I ran into is just like my, uh, like the way I'm sketching, I'm not happy with the way that's working in the field. So, um, I'm trying a, a few different uh, sketching techniques and, and, uh, so I ordered, ordered some, some more sketching materials, which I always love ordering sketching materials. Cause basically nothing I get, like, this is the most expensive stuff I'm getting. And it's like $16. Right. And I have, <laughs> and I think I gave you some stuff and whenever I'm buying this stuff, you get tons of it and it's, it's really inexpensive. So I basically have almost like a whole store's worth of sketching materials, uh, in my house. I have like, uh, an, an entire shoebox full and then, and then some, um, and it's probably it's maybe it's like 50 or 60 bucks of, of stuff. So I, I kind of have, have most of the equipment I need for, for everything I want to do. But, uh, but anyway, anyway, that, that first night uh, that I was out and I went out by myself. Um, and it's always kind of weird, like going out to some of these sites um, when you're alone, there's, there's a couple strange things that inevitably happen. So I, either one, 
Um, you get some coyotes and I've been seeing a lot of coyotes. I saw coyotes last night. I saw two. Uh, they ran in front of me on the highway. I saw one run in front of me when I was going out the other night, saw some deer around. And uh, anyway, it's always a bit of a strange thing going observing by yourself uh, to these dark sites. But that, that first night I was out at my dark site here, um, did a bunch of sketches, sketched um, M14, sketched M10, sketched M12, sketched M9, sketched 107. <laughs> so I just like plowed through and, and started all these sketches. They're just preliminary sketches. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then I, I, I thought, oh, I got a few more I should do. And then I was like, I'm, I'm just getting too tired. Like I find by one, I'm just bagged. And this this was not even quite one. I think this was more like quarter after 12 or something like that and uh or maybe 12 30 and i was just kind of getting a bit tired so i thought well i'm just going to put the uh put the two inch uh diagonal into into the borg and do a scan around i went into this big scan up through uh the scutum star cloud and and into cygnus and uh man it was awesome like that 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 little scope rotting on on the 100 millimeter is is so much fun just to pan around the the sky with it's mm-hmm. just like having a, a really good pair of binoculars like a small pair of very wide field binoculars but then when you stop you can really stop and look and you, you can kind of look for as long as you want because unlike with the binoculars where your arms are going to get tired or even if you're if you mount them then you know you're looking high up and your your neck is tired or it's like it's like pick pick what you want to be tired there you know guy then <laughs> you're going to be fighting with something but but having it kind of set up like that is that that's kind of one why when i said to you it, it's just so awesome to be able to have it mounted um like that it, it is just mm-hmm. like having a, a pair of binoculars it's really cool yeah yeah you know a pair of like you know, with the 24 millimeter pen optic, it's basically like, you know, 10 by 50 binoculars. Um, but like you said, you know, no arm fatigue cause it's on the mount. Um, but like our super wide field of view, like, you know, pushing eight degrees and just sharp. Right. So it's, uh, the, the optical quality is far better in my mind. Um, not that I don't like binoculars, but it's just hard to really beat a, a good telescope. Yeah. And then you can also, like I did put some more power in it. Um, like I think a 10 millimeter or something, um, just to look at a couple things. So you kind of, kind of have that, that too, but just, just the ability to have that, that really high power and, and, uh, and super, super wide field. Um, that's fun. Like it is fun. And then sort of for practical purposes, um, to be able to swap, swap that out and, and go back to, to finder scope mode, um, is, is really cool too. But yeah, I, th- I think I'm probably eventually going to get, uh, get it set up, uh, very much in, in just a strict finder scope mode for when I have it uh, mounted up. Cause I think I can knock off another four or five ounces maybe. So, uh, we'll see how it is when these, when these parts arrive, but, uh, anyway, just, uh, just kind of, kind of working through it. And, uh, Oh, I, by the way, I was going to mention, you know, before we go, uh, I got that, uh, bill, uh, Paolini, uh, Paolini's, uh, book on choosing and using eyepieces. Um, that's a great book. <laughs> Man, that's yeah. a good book. Okay. Highly yeah. recommended. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. So, um, a lot of the times I find, and it's no offense to anybody, but a lot of the time I find with these books is, um, they can kind of be like a regurgitation of what you can find either readily on the internet or maybe even by that individual on the internet. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bill certainly writes lots, um, in the forums and, and reviews and that sort of thing. Um, but this, this book is, is a different take. Um, he, he, I, I mean, he goes into a level of detail and you, you get a sense of that in his posts. Like he does these amazing posts and analysis and all that. And I think they're good. I think they're, they're pretty good. Um, but kind of limited by, by the forum, uh, format, uh, or by a review format. And this, this really is neither reviewing the eyepieces and it's not really sort of, um, analysis for purchasing of eyepieces like you would get in a forum. It's, it's something uh, different. And I think it really, really works well, first of all. So choosing and using astronomical eyepieces by William Paolini. Paolini, P-A-O-L-I-N-I, um, American name. I have a lot of trouble with some of the American names. Um, and then, um, so it, it is good and it's big. So 63 bucks, I think it's worth, I think it's worth the money. You know, there's other books we talked about. I, I don't think are worth the money. Just that's my opinion. Um, this book is worth it. Uh, it's very big. 
and it's super comprehensive. And eyepieces really, you know, that there's some change over time, but I think, um, you know, even just for the historical thing, we buy used eyepieces, you and I. So I think even historically, it's it's nice to have for for that reason. He's talked about updating it. Um, honestly, yeah, if, if he updated it, I I might buy another copy. You know, like I think I think it's uh, it's one of the better books out there. Uh, not many, just on the the sole uh, bit about um, eyepieces. Now I have the other one. Um, Oh, I can't remember all the names of the different people involved, but it's on like um, optics and astrographs and refractors and eyepieces and all this stuff. And, and it, it is a different analysis. So I, I think they really kind of marry well together, actually this book and, and that one, uh, that one's at a, at a print anyway. So, so anyway, that's my little book review. Uh, and, and my apologies for rambling a bit. I'm, I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries at all. In fact, you know what, Chris, I think that's probably a good place to end this episode. And uh, Shane, yeah, my apologies there. I kind of, I kind of, kind of rambled off, but, uh, but, but you had a, had a thank you to, to shout out for one of our uh, listeners and, and new Patreon um, people. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we have a new Patreon supporter. So big thank you to Jonas. I think Jonas is in Sweden, I, but I'm not hundred percent sure on that. Cool. Um, but yeah, we really appreciate it again. Um, you know, the, we love doing this podcast, but there are a few expenses associated uh, with it. So, um, you know, any, uh, support that we get through the Patreon just gets kind of reinvested to covering our expenses and maybe introducing some new features at some point, but anyway, uh, thanks to, uh, Jonas and thanks to all of our Patreons. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks Jonas. And, uh, and, and just to reiterate, thank, thanks again to everybody. We, we do this for fun. Uh, we would do it anyway. Um, but yeah, just one of those things where, where the, uh, the cost of doing it, uh, it, there is a cost to doing it. And so we do appreciate the support that, uh, that people do, uh, do provide us for covering, uh, those, those minimal expenses, but you know, they do add up over the course of the year. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. 